Hello, Future Tribe. Welcome to another episode of this podcast, the last episode for 2021. Uh, I'm joined with Kelsey, of course, and we've got a bunch of news to talk about. A bit of bit of variety today, um, though a bit of uh, a lot more involvement by uh, Google, which makes sense, I would say, within the lead up to the holiday period. Um, Obviously, they're the biggest search engine in the world, so there's a lot that's come out from them about uh, what we need to look out for for this Christmas period. Um, We'll revisit the YouTube dislike button, dislike count sort of conversation from uh, last week, I think it was. Um, There's there's been a few more things that I've learned about, and I wanted to sort of have a bit more of a conversation about that. Uh, Instagram, again, introducing more features. There's just features uh, pouring out from Instagram and Meta. Um, GoDaddy acquiring another company. Uh, There's a list of the top 100 products from Google um, or according to Google. So uh, some handy um, objects and items there for us to look at. Um, Kelsey, what else have we got? Yeah, we're also going to be talking about uh, Racket, which is a 99 second audio feed similar to TikTok and what they're doing. Uh, Google is rolling out a core update. Google is also going to be showing translated search results. And we'll also be discussing the Sydney Film Festival 2021 brand identity that's just been released. Yeah, um, so a bit of variety this week. A lot of uh, talking about the Christmas period. Let's roll the intro and get into it. So I want to kick off this episode by mentioning that uh, we actually mentioned it last week as well that we're hiring, that Future Theory is hiring at the moment. Um, Go check out uh, the website futuretheory.co slash careers. Uh, If you go to slash jobs, you'll be redirected to careers as well. So either one will work. Um, We are looking for a WordPress developer, um, a marketing digital communications coordinator um, and a graphic designer slash um, web like front-end designer yeah we're just um, very excited to I guess grow the team we've got the space here we've moved into our new office um, and now it's just about getting the word out we are only hiring uh, for staff to work um, from the office in Canberra um, but hopefully um, you know we'll be able to find team members locally i think if we can't we're gonna have to look uh elsewhere and um reach a bit further out but um we we work with a lot of canberra clients so it's pretty important for us that you can face to face sort of have a conversation with the canberra clients and um yeah we've got clients from interstate but it's um they they find their way um to Canberra at some point (laughs) Um, or or we find our way to the Melbourne or Sydney most often so um, it'll be good to sort of hire someone locally but if you know anyone let let them know that we're we're looking to hire Um, we're going to make it a pretty rapid sort of um, process Uh, once we hear from you if we like what we see we'll reach out we'll uh, book in a a meeting or whatever else um, makes sense as the next step Um, 
pretty pretty quickly so we don't have to wait till the application close dates which is next friday anyway so only only a week away um but just wanted to get the word out share it um we're going to be obviously doing some advertising um you're going to be involved with helping us take things to the next level we've got a lot of ongoing work but we've got you know ft studio where i am at the moment um that needs marketing we've got our own um sort of content marketing needs and channels and uh, a lot of design a lot of work for clients a lot of um work ranging from member organizations to for-profit organizations and not-for-profit organizations so nice sort of variety of work would you would you agree kelsey yeah for sure i think there's not too many clients that are identical or similar so you're always got lots of different work to be doing it's a lot of fun yeah, it's it's um yeah can be can be a bit all over the place sometimes <laughs> in a in a nice way <laughs> yeah all part of the joys of working in an agency though that's right not 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 every day is the same it's just uh i mean i would say even every hour is, is <laughs> very different from from the next um mm-hmm. so all right enough about that let's um talk about the the youtube dislike button so uh, I think we chatted about the fact that we won't miss it last week. Um, well, not so much the dislike button, the dislike count. Um, funny enough, so the the anti-removal has continued. People have been um, very much against it, opposed to it. Um, and I think I've uh, changed my stance as well. I think, I think what's come out is if... The way we, I think the way we, um, the position that we were in um, was a result of, the, or, or our stance was a result of the fact that we uh, consumed YouTube in a certain way. I think, um, speaking for myself, I have sort of trusted YouTubers that I watch and listen to. Um, I don't really treat YouTube like a search engine where um, a lot of a lot of people do. I mean, YouTube's considered the second most popular search engine in the world, um, second to Google, which owns YouTube. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, naturally, there are a lot of YouTube videos that are surfaced by Google um, around things like, and you know, electrical work or health. Um, th- there's, I guess, uh, factual information that's surfaced by by YouTube. Um, or on YouTube and the dislike count has helped people historically sort of understand is this content you know close to correct or um, if, if the dislike count is really really high um, the the fact that you know maybe maybe it isn't accurate or maybe generally the general consensus is that it isn't or it's sort of 50 50 it's it's close to being correct but it's not it's not as um, because it's not in a lot of areas it's not like we're trying to we're struggling to find content about a specific thing right like there's heaps of content out there so this really just helps design pick out the good ones from the bad um one thing that i heard um some people comment on though is that you know suggestions of um uh like surely youtube could have sort of added more complexity to it so that they pulled out the uh, people who were just spamming dislikes um, versus the people who are genuinely disliking it because of the content. Like, you know, watch for how long they watched the video for before they disliked, for example, which which is fair comment, but 
it just um, comes back to, I think we've had this conversation about Facebook and news on Facebook as well in the mm-hmm. past about how much work should it, should Google or YouTube as a platform or any other platform put into make into sort of surfacing information like the way I see it from a business point of view YouTube might as well just remove the dislike count like it's so much easier than having to set up a system where they watch okay how long did Kelsey watch this video before she disliked it and then what impact does that have do they do they then sort of say okay um, so that is definitely a genuine dislike and then you can just get bots to do that. You can just get bots to watch videos for a long period of time, then dislike it. Um, mm-hmm. The thing is, all this has such an impact on on people's lives in in, in both senses. As, as a consumer, if you get incorrect information, that can be detrimental. But as a content producer, if if you you know try and get if someone else tries to cancel you and their community just comes and really attacks you, bombards you, especially when you're a small creator, I think it can have a real serious impact. Um, I just wonder whether, like, ultimately, if there's even a right answer. Yeah. Um, I'm still of the stance that I think it's good that they have removed the count. But I guess if people were after more transparency and things like that, I don't know, I go back to review sites and review sites when you have, you know, one star rating, let's say, most of the time they ask you to have a comment. So then you can go through the comments of the one star reviews and see why they're one star reviews. And a lot of the time it's just people being like, I didn't actually order this, I just don't like it. Or you can sort of pick out the ones that are genuine one star reviews and the ones that are just idiots that don't really understand how the review <laughs> system works um, well, i saw a bad review the other day um, for a product on bunnings and i sort of thought oh interesting because there was one two-star review and it said that um they didn't get a notification when it was ready to collect and that was why <laughs> they gave it a two-star review yeah. so obviously it's not the product's fault and i guess that's an example of what you're talking about yeah exactly and i sort of i feel like if you were to do a similar thing on YouTube, that would probably work. So then you can actually get qualified dislikes or qualified, you know, reviews, whatever you want to call them. Maybe that's a solution to it. Um, Yeah, I just, I still stand by the fact that it's good that they've removed the dislike, but if people are not happy about it, maybe more of a review system with qualified reviews is a better way to do it. That's true because at the moment we're treating videos that are, on an entertainment site as videos on an educational site almost um and yeah but yeah it's a tough one because then it puts the question around um maybe maybe they just have to flag and mark you know certain types of videos um to be able to be reviewed, quote-unquote reviewed, because, like, we're thinking about doing a tour of our office and offices spaces. Um, we wouldn't necessarily want that to be reviewed. Like, that, mm-hmm. that would be a weird thing, because, but it does, because it's just um, a piece of information. There's no right or wrong there. Uh, it's just this is what it is. Um, and that's not a weird thing to sort of do anyway, because you already see that on Google. There are, you know... Uh, search results that are surfaced that are reviews so you can see a star rating even before you click into the search results Um, and then there are just general information there's news articles so there's a lot there 
um, there's a lot of precedent there to treat YouTube almost like a video version of Google, um, mm -hmm. which if people are using it like that, I'm, I mean, I certainly learn a lot from YouTube because I treat it like a like a Google, but in video slash audio form. Um, I, I would say most of the time I'm not actually watching YouTube, I'm listening to YouTube. Um, so maybe that's the direction that they need to head in. But um, yeah, I just wanted to chat about it for, for a little while, but we can move on from that. I think we'll just have to wait and see what happens. There's a huge outcry. Um, one of the um, co-founders of YouTube is uh, very anti what's happening around the dislike account being hidden um so to make it clear the dislike button isn't going anywhere it's just hiding that count to to the public um so i don't think it's over yet uh though mm -hmm. google might just choose to say you know what you can cry all you want you can be against it all you want <laughs> all of youtube can turn against it you know yeah i feel like that happens a lot yeah in the tech space they'll just it happens with instagram when they changed from you know chronological for example timeline and they just go, look, you're just going to have to get used to it. And then people do. And yeah, you Facebook don't hear about the it. Same thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, At the end of the day, these platforms have more power than than the individuals, I would say. So, yeah. Um, and and what, what are these YouTube creators who've built businesses who are almost solely reliant on each of these platforms? What are they going to do? They're not going to just be able to jump ship. Um, there's no. not even really a second best uh, platform versus YouTube. So, um, no. yeah, what are they going to do? <laughs> um, moving on, talking about Instagram. Uh, Instagram introducing badges to support creators. Tell me more about that. Yeah, so we discussed in a previous episode about TikTok introducing tipping. Um, this is essentially a similar kind of feature that Instagram is introducing. So it's called badges. It's basically a way for viewers to pay and support creators on Instagram Live. And it kind of gives each person a ranking, I suppose. So you get one, two or three stars next to your name, depending on the tier. I think it's like $1.99, oh no, 99 cents, $1.99 and maybe $4.99. Yeah. Um, and depending on which one you put on, you'll get your one, two or three stars. And then you'll have more likelihood to show up in the comments to the creator during the live. So it's almost like a pay to be seen kind of feature, pay to be seen by the creator that's live. And it's, an interesting concept, an interesting way to do the tipping and to do that sort of support your favorite people kind of function. But I also find it, I don't know, it's just a bit weird because it's, I guess it's the same kind of thing where you can pay for backstage passes or meet and greets with your favorite singers, that sort of thing. But it's just in a digital space, but it just has a weird feeling about it of like pay to be seen. I don't know. I can't really articulate what's frustrating me about it, but it just seems weird. <laughs> well, um, YouTube's already doing this. So there is precedent around this. And I think we were just talking about, you know, who who is the second best video platform and um, Instagram is trying to do, do that, to be the second best platform um, because Facebook doesn't really have a competitor two or four YouTube like YouTube is just alone by itself um, there is Vimeo but Vimeo has mm. never really been a YouTube competitor it's a no. you know more of an enterprise solution um, so this one's interesting because <laughs> they're, they're not going to take a cut of revenue until 2023 so basically we've got 12 <laughs> months where um, they're gonna try and get all these creators used to it but then at yeah. some point 
they're going to start taking a 30% cut or a 15% cut or, Just you know. Just quite they, a bit when you're talking about $1.99. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But but then I guess Instagram Instagram's point is going to be like, we are enabling this for you. So um, either pay up or go to a different platform <laughs> because there are other alternatives. Yeah. Um, the feature is rolling out uh, in the US. Um, not everyone will get this feature um eligible creators need to reside in the u.s at the moment be over 18 um and have a creator or business account on the platform with at least 10,000 followers so again not something unlocked just for anyone and everyone um though i don't see why they would restrict that in the future at some point i think yeah. they'll just enable anyone to have it um there's you know various policies that you've got to be in compliance with and but i think there's um there's still not a consistent application of these policies anyway so that has the the, the whole policy side of things has a has not not as much of an impact but um not surprising to see all these platforms start sort of monetizing not that not that um instagram needs to make more money they've got advertising but um it's interesting because yeah you sort of mentioned that backstage pass sort of concept kelsey um this is obviously a lower ticket item but allows many more people to be involved in in this way um or or, you know support their their favorite creators um and it also allows a lot more people i think the freedom to monetize themselves and monetize their businesses without relying on um all these other individuals and companies and parties being involved so um yeah a certain certain um shift is happening that that has been happening for a little while and this is just more um of of that in that direction so um i think ultimately good to see because never hurts to enable people to earn an income for themselves and and minimize those barriers to entry though you know we've been having an issue with facebook um which is all (laughs) part of the same company um where for whatever reason, we've had one of our um, accounts, advertising accounts restricted, though that restriction stops us from connecting to new client accounts that we manage. Um, it doesn't stop us from advertising on the platform. So it's a <laughs> bit of a, it's uh, not just a bit, it's very much like, I think it's ironic because we can, we can't connect one of our client accounts, one of our client Facebook pages to our business Facebook page um, to manage it. But I got a notification this morning that we spent $9 overnight to reach over a thousand people. So um, yeah, it's very much double standards. If they're trying to protect Facebook users while simultaneously letting us advertise to a thousand of them overnight, what's going on? Um, Yeah. But maybe you know maybe maybe the smart thing to do for a lot of these creators i think is to um treat this as a supplementary source of income and try and get the the follower base to go to their own websites their own platforms where they can really monetize and sort of maintain control over all this um i've heard of people having second and third and fourth facebook accounts in the past and i always thought that was a bit weird um but now that we've been restricted, I can see why <laughs> I'd want to do that. <laughs> yeah, contingency um, plan. Yeah, because, you know, we're just reliant on these guys when it comes to managing a Facebook page. Um, we can't manage a Facebook page in any other way. So, 
um, what can we do? What can we mm. do? Um, on from one big company to to the next, um, GoDaddy, who uh, I'm not the biggest fan of, um, has acquired Pagely, who's a uh, web hosting provider. Um, Pagely's um, just acquired them. There's no mention, I don't think, um, about a price, but they acquired Pagely, um, which is an 18 year old company. Um, they offer hosting solutions for businesses and enterprises um, at the higher end of the hosting market. Um, this is just more consolidation in this space. Um, I think Australia's got a number of uh, their own hosting companies, Australian hosting companies that are independent. Um, I'm just a huge fan of it because it just sort of diversifies control so that we don't have one big company or a few big companies who can control everything and sort of call the shots. Um, I don't think that's a good thing. There's not, it's not a good thing for innovation and competition. Um, I just hope that, you know, some of these companies aren't thinking of don't get acquired by any of these big, big conglomerates. Um, it's just, yeah, news for anyone who's on Pagely. Who knows? It might it might be a good thing. Um, we talked about Crello being acquired by Vistaprint um, or the company who owns Vistaprint, which is Vista. Um, and that's been a good thing in that um, I haven't really used Vista Create, um, what Crello is rebranded to, but... Um, it's from from all accounts on all accounts has been a good thing because um, they've been smart and sort of offered even more features and functionality for previous users. But yeah, I think stock images is one of them because um, obviously Vista Print has its own sort of stock image collection. So that's the only difference I've noticed in my use of it so far. Mm -hmm. mm. Um, but yeah. There's, it's just rare that it's good news um, for <laughs> for users, but yeah. we we'll just have to wait and see. Um, moving on to Google Shopping's, um, so Google Google essentially has released. They do this every year. Um, they call it the Google Shopping Holiday 100, showing product searches that are predicted to trend the most. Um, on Google in the US during the holiday season. And they're organized by categories, um, including gaming, health and beauty, fragrances, kitchen gear, sport and fitness, toys and games, and tech. Um, not, a, not a lot of surprising um, sort of results in that list, um, if any. We'll include obviously link, a link to this because um, there is a hundred there are a hundred different items we are not going to go through that whole list um what did stand out to me though was like in the gaming space um nintendo 64 sony psp original game boy those are trending so quite a retro mix there mm -hmm. um when it comes to the health and beauty sector uh not a lot of sort of surprises there for me um there are there are you know l'oreal clinique dyson sort of expected names though they don't they're not dominating that space which is a good thing to see um fragrances are just uh you know basically everyone um mm -hmm. from chanel to armani to um ariana grande's perfume not surprising there uh kitchen gear not surprising either just the just the classics um a lot of KitchenAid and DeLonghi in there um, but as we go down like we go into the tech space um, I think what, what all these 
can be used for and the reason i wanted to bring this up was that it gives you an idea of like if you're in a similar space what you could uh potentially um be up against and how like you could you could use this to do some competitor analysis i would say um like if you're in the kitchen gear space um or thinking about having a product that goes into that space to me this is just a fantastic way to try and you know because this is like the top 100 google saying this is the 100 products that if everyone you know could have what they wanted these are the 100 that that would basically uh, be requested by everyone in the world so it's a cheat sheet it's a cheat list of what is trending what is good um and if you're in one of these spaces i would just yeah jump right in take a look at the characteristics um look at how these companies are selling their product as well you know how they're retailing it where they're retailing it to there are websites that you can use to um look at um like are they are, are these competitors or are these companies running facebook ads google ads what are they running that sort of thing as well um are they selling just through amazon um, so there's a lot of reverse engineering that you can do even if you're smaller um even if you're in you know say the local like the australian market rather than the american market there's just a lot that you can take away from all of this um can i just say i find it so funny that this is on a google doc like i know that it's (laughs) google's product but it just looks so amateur and it's got its little like clip art image at the top as well (laughs) yeah it's not even a google doc it's a um it's just like shared from a Google Drive, I think. Yeah. Oh, it's a Google Doc shared via Google Drive. Yeah. I saw you put this in the run sheet and it, I saw drive.google and I went, has he put the wrong link in? Like surely he's messed <laughs> up something here, but it's literally just from Google and a Google Drive, which makes sense. Like it's their product, but it just, I don't know. I just find it funny. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you go to the text section and the Google Pixel 6 is obviously in there, which um, <laughs> um doesn't surprise me it is a very popular product but at the same time um you know how much of how much of it is true i always wonder this like like, aren't google just going to show all their all their competing solutions at the top of the google search list but obviously there's there's things in place to make sure that that doesn't happen um but even looking at like gaming and the top games um or if you're doing a giveaway this is another sort of nice cheat cheat list in the lead up to this um, holiday period, if you want to, you know, your chance to win X, Y, Z, um, this is a bit of a cheat sheet of, okay, what product should I pick? Um, mm-hmm. What product should I give away? Because they're extremely popular. And I think you will find that um, while this um, is based out of the US, I think you'll find that it is true or it is accurate for most of the world. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, it's like Forza Horizon as as like gaming, for example. Like, there's there's a lot of these options here. If you're making cakes, if you're making birthday cakes, this is a list of um potentially what like have a Spider Man cake, have a Forza cake, have a Battlefield cake because they're very popular. Whether it's um kids or adults, they they're going to be buying these. So. Um, yeah, uh, no, no surprise there. We'll link to it. We'll, um, if you see a Google Drive link, that's um, directly <laughs> to what Google's. Yep, it's legit. We haven't stuffed up. Um, I, I love it. Just keep. Why not use their own products? Yeah. Um, might as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
On to Racket, which is a 99 second audio uh, social app, really, that's similar to TikTok. Mm. So I came across this the other day and I just thought it was an interesting thing to bring up because it's sort of a new platform. Um, It's out on iOS, I think. I don't think it's on Android yet. But the idea behind it is basically TikTok-esque scrolling sort of feed, but just with audio. Um, And I thought it was interesting because I think in the audio space at the moment, you've obviously got music, which is the classic thing, and that's sort of Spotify um, dominated, I guess. And then you've obviously got the podcast side of it, which are usually much longer, you know, at least 10 minutes to an hour plus kind of thing. So this is exploring an avenue that I don't think, from my knowledge, has been explored very much yet because it is that 99 second limit. You've got to remember there is um, Clubhouse. Um, but mm. again, a different product. Yeah, I'm not familiar with Clubhouse to be honest. So, um, well, it's just audio rooms, so it's yeah. longer. Well, it's not even longer. It's just like however long it could be. It's like an Instagram Live, but in mm-hmm. audio. So, um, yeah, this is more like a TikTok audio sort of solution. Yeah, um, and I just think it'll be interesting to keep tabs on how this app sort of evolves and how creators will begin to use it, if they'll begin to use it, Um, you know, what sort of content they'll be creating. Because obviously, if you looked at TikTok at the start of when it came out, there was probably a lot of skepticism about being able to do things within the space of, you know, 30 seconds, a minute, and how much content people could actually create that was engaging enough. And obviously, it's taken off like crazy. So it'll be interesting to see if these, you know, 99-second snippets also take off, if people are happy to sit there and just listen to various little segments going through and through um and i thought it sort of seemed similar to listening to the radio because each segment on the radio is maybe a couple of minutes but really you're talking for a very short amount of time and you're just switching between topics between songs as you know the breaks so it's almost a similar concept to that minus the music side of it which is kind of a funny take on it but i just think it'll be interesting to keep an eye on this one and looking at their website the um user interface is very reminiscent of TikTok. Um, That was going to be my next sort of thought of like, how is it going to look like? Because audio is obviously not very visual. Um, The answer is quite boring. Um, (laughs) You just see see, uh, their display pic with some sort of background. I mean, similar to Spotify, I suppose, because Spotify, you just get obviously uh, music controls, play pause and all of that. And then the album art or sometimes the little video, if people put that on there. The only difference there, though, is that at least with Spotify, you're listening to a few minutes of music or you're listening to a playlist. I don't, like, yeah, I don't know. Like, TikTok is a lot more involving than something like Spotify, right? Spotify is Mm -hmm. quite passive. YouTube can be quite passive. Like, to me, this is... Like, how do you find relevant content? How do you... I don't know. It's going to be... Um, it's going to be interesting to see how it how it does because it's... Yeah, I don't, I don't know. How do, you, how do you find relevant content? Like, it's... It's, it's mm. audio. Like, yeah, but um, I mean, it's the same with TikTok. How do you find relevant content? You've got your For You, pay, for you page, which is just randomly generated based on previous things you've engaged with. And it ends up finding the right content because of all the algorithms. And I, I guess it would be the same with audio. The ones that you listen to or the creators that you listen to more frequently 
I think they'll be able to analyze what kind of things they're talking about and show, well, make you listen to that audio. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're not looking at anything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so that's going to be the interesting part. Like, how do you pick? You know, if you're at least with TikTok, you can see a visual preview of what you're about to click into. Um, music has never been like that. Audio has never been like, like okay, you have a thumbnail, but that's about it. Um, yeah. But um, I think it's still worth very much worth mentioning, and mm-hmm. it's it's early days for this platform, and um, yeah, it's I a think- good opportunity. I think if you're if you've sort of thought about maybe dabbling in TikTok but doing content that is useful in audio as much as like you know or you can remove video and still have a have useful content um it's a good time to get on get on a platform like this at the at the start because if it yeah. takes off um look at most established mediums it's the players who've been around for a while that have been able to build out sort of a consistent um opportunity and a consistent platform on that platform um so yeah good opportunity there but sorry you were going to say something um i was just going to say there was a comment in this article where they basically talked about the premise behind racket and they've basically just talked about trying to lower barriers of entry um so previously with podcasts and i think we might have discussed it i'm not sure if it was on the podcast or just in the office about getting into the audio space you need to have all this equipment or you need to have x y and z to do things so the whole point of this racket app is to reduce those barriers so you don't have to have the fancy equipment you don't have to have high production it's just really nice and simple quick and easy to get out and i think that that's really important um and i think somewhere in the article as well they did mention sort of the amount of people that are engaged with video content and the amount of people engaged with audio content and audio has such a low amount of engagement or in terms of um users i guess and they sort of mentioned that that is showing the audio is such a young medium which sounds kind of weird to think about it in that space but it's as if audio really hasn't been explored that much and when you do look at we've only got music and podcasts really in that space there is so much more that could be explored so i think yeah this is going to be exciting to keep an eye on and exciting to see where it ends up if it ends up somewhere yeah and and certainly like i was saying an opportunity there as well for you um, if you're, um, if you've got, you know, content that can be shared in sort of bite-sized audio um, form, um, it's it's early days. Like the platform itself was only launched in 2019, um, or the team's been together since 2019. So, um, mm. very early days. Um, a good opportunity for you to sort of jump into it um, and um, try and create a bit of a carve out a bit of a, a niche there for yourself. Um, Moving on with more Google news, so uh, there's Google's announced that um, uh, today that they're releasing, I think it was today, on the 18th uh, of November, um, that they're going to um, push out the November 2021 core update. Um, for those of you who don't know, um, probably Kelsey's in that list as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a, a core update essentially is just Google... Um, doing a big update to how they look at search results and how they rank websites. It happens, you know, a handful of times a year. So it's not a weird thing for it to happen, um, but it's uh, more of a heads up for anyone who's looking at SEO, who's who's got a website. Um, just keep an eye out. Uh, these these core updates are big enough that, you know, in our, in our ranking tools, they demarcate when a 
when a um, core update has been rolled out um, because it can have all sorts of impacts. Um, generally, what we see is people's uh, rankings drop, um, but that does mean that you know when people's rankings drop, there has to be people who who win as well because that's sort of how it works. Um, um, but yeah, the the uh, November updates comes after the last one in July, and then there was one in June before that. Um, so those have been sort of the this is the third update for the year. Um, it is a bit of weird timing because it's just before the holidays, um, and it'll probably happen over you know it'll probably be complete across all the geographies by sort of early December, um, but that's going to also mean that it's happening over like a key selling period around um, Black Friday and the lead up to Christmas, which that's a bit of volatility, right? Like if you've got an established um, channel, a marketing channel through through Google, that's going to be a little little affected potentially. Yeah, that'll be a little bit of a rationale from some marketing teams to the senior execs to explain why there's some weird stats in there. <laughs> Yeah, um, and, and you can never predict how one of these core updates will go. So I think um, it'll be interesting to see that as well, whether it's, you know, good overall or bad overall. We've seen historically, like, these core updates affect a certain market segment or have a, have more of a weighting on, let's say, you know, health-related content. Um, so you might find that when a core update rolled and you have a, a health-based site and you're not a, not a, a doctor, like a medical doctor, that you may have taken a hit and suddenly find that, you know, websites by clinics... Um, doing better so that's where google's obviously weighing up um or at least boosting the dominance and the and the authority around content from like a medical organization or a medical individual medically qualified individual um and the same thing can happen across a a huge number of industries as well um but it's a heads up keep an eye out over the next fortnight i'm sure we're going to have we're going to be seeing some interesting results as well um just the other day actually one of our clients um dropped from third place to eighth place in search results and i Mm -hmm. clicked in to see why and i've worked out that we had actually hadn't lost search rankings to any other anyone else's rankings but what had happened was that google had just started displaying different types of information in between so we got demoted from third to eighth but all the content in the middle were you know questions asked by other searchers um was a blurb on about the company you know so this was a term for a product and that Google had slotted in, you know, about future theory, let's say, um, as one of the search results. So ultimately it had, we'd lost all those places, but in reality we hadn't lost it per se. Mm-hmm. Google just other just things reshuffled. jumped in. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but that's a reminder there that, you know, all Google has to do, I think, is on certain, certain results is to decide that they only want to show like one main result before they pull in the Google-based information. It could be latest news around that topic. It could be, um, you know, movie times or it could be all sorts of things um, that could then push your your search ranking further down, which puts a lot of importance on being number one on that particular search term. But it also varies from, from search term to search term. Um, 
which is like a nice, it's a nice segue because um, Google's also talked about um, showing translated search results, which I don't, I, I, I get what they're doing it. Basically what they're trying to do is um, when a search result seems to be a bit thin on content, they're going to translate better available results and show that. But hmm. that relies heavily on the quality of Google Translate. <laughs> yeah, which bit of risk. It's quite there. good, but yeah, but there's risk, right? I mean, I, I, I tried to look into it. There's not. Um, it's it's only going to affect six languages for the moment, and it auto translates the titles and snippets between languages. And then when you click through, it'll translate the whole whole page's content. Mm-hmm. Now that's going to have an impact when you're talking about anything technical where you can't just translate it over um there's also the risk i wonder if surely they're going to want to uh manually review it but i just i just don't Mm. see google putting in that like financial investment into manually reviewing it at the same time Mm -hmm. i don't know what 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 are your thoughts on both these things that we've been talking about kelsey Um, yeah i mean the translated stuff i think will be good long term but I think there's still some issues with the translation quality. And I mean, it's only going to get better by implementing it and having it, you know, independent people come in and review things or have feedback from users or whatever that looks like. Um, But I think there's definitely going to be some risk at first when it comes to some of that technical information or even just not technical things, but search results that require a lot of, um, I don't know what the word is, but, a lot of nuance in what's sort of being said because a lot of the times obviously with translation you can have one saying that just doesn't translate well or it's really you've got to understand the context that's happening and I think there's only so much that automatic translation can do with that but it's I mean it's just going to be a case of time though and having those services set up so that they can continue improving because you've got to start somewhere so yeah it's it's got to happen but um it's it's good. I'm happy to see that Google's only going to do this where the results are a bit thin um, because otherwise it means that you've now got to compete with people <laughs> yeah. um, who are writing in different languages, which, which really compromises the integrity of search results, in my opinion, because yeah. you would think that no matter what, no matter how good the auto-translate is, it cannot, it shouldn't be able to match, like every other search like it should be able to match natively written results um like especially where like you were saying where you know one sentence relies on the next and the next and the next to sort of build out um a bigger picture how how translate would work like we'll just have to wait and see um it'll be at the moment it'll only be limited to indonesian hindi Kannada, K-A-N-N-A-D-A. I've never heard of that language. Hmm. Uh, Malayalam, Tamil, uh, and Telugu. So very much sort of uh, Asian focus at the moment. Um, And it kind of makes sense potentially because um, there might be limited information about everything in those native languages within that region. Um, whereas, you know, we might find that in Europe, a lot of the locals um, speak and write content in their native tongue, where in parts of um, Asia, they just 
write it in English instead of writing it mm-hmm. in the native language. So when you're, um, and, and this also, I guess, increases the um, likelihood of older generations getting on and being able to make sense of um, yeah. the content that they're reading. So it, it's it's not a negative thing. And that Google's enabling, um, um, you know, users and website owners to say just do not translate this content so mm-hmm. that's a good thing um yeah. but yeah i wonder how also if you've got advertising on your website how's that gonna work because hmm. you can't you know would they just translate or are you just gonna be showing ads to someone who's not gonna understand yeah i mean isn't advertising geographic based a lot of the time though so if even if it's translating, surely it would still just show ads from your local area. So it wouldn't really matter if we were looking what if at it's it. Not in, but then uh, the language would matter, right? Still, you would think like. Well, if you're impact. if you're looking at a site written in, I oh, mean, Mandarin wasn't one of them, but let's say Mandarin, yeah. that's translated. The ads you're seeing should surely still be Australian ads because it's geography based targeting. True, true. You wouldn't be shown Mandarin ads because you're not in China. No, yes. But what if you're looking at, um, what if you're in China seeing ads in Mandarin, but you're reading in English? So they're translating Mandarin content into English. Yeah, but you're saying that they would be speaking Mandarin or and they're just reading well, in English? Na- or... Yeah, so you're in, a, you're in a region where your native tongue is different to the region's native tongue. Well, so I feel like you're going to have that issue everywhere anyway, <laughs> aren't you? It's going to be a broader well, issue than just ads. But, but that's what we're talking about here, right? So it's like Google then showing you content translated into English so that you can understand it, but then every other facet of it is not something you understand. So you're essentially um, wasting those advertisers' money, which is fine yeah. for Google. But it's not good for it's not good for you. Like, it's not good for the advertiser. Um, yeah, but that would be happening anyway, wouldn't it? I mean, like it's, well, it's sort of an issue anyway. At least you've got ex- you're accessible to the content now. It's just the ads aren't yeah. quite there as well. Potentially, hmm, I don't know. It, 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 it could be. It could get messy. That's I yeah. Guess that's, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> Fair um, all right, from that into a design topic, um, the Sydney Film Festival um, branding. Um, let me share my screen. Bear with me. Um, for anyone watching, we haven't had a lot of content recently to share, um, but it's nice to have this <laughs> one here. Yeah. Um, so this is, um, as always, from brand new. Um they seem to sort of have everything um, and sort of get a jump on new information. I I don't know. To start with, all I'm going to say is that I think the work's really nice, um, but it's a lot going on and I don't mm. see the relationship between a film festival and the branding here. Um saying that I'm not the demographic, not the target demographic, <laughs> never been to the Sydney Film Festival, not mm-hmm. sure I will ever go. Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I have had a few mixed thoughts about it. My first thought is that it feels like something, like a design language that I've seen before. 
um, in terms of the bright colors and things popping out and that sort of 2D, 3D effect. I don't know how to describe it, just that sort of drop shadow without it being a shadow. Um, and I like it. It just kind of feels like something I've seen before, maybe in like a Cartoon Network or something sort of mm. scenario. It's got um, sort of like a, maybe even like a comic sort of Yeah, vibe. yeah. Um, but I do like it. And then my other thoughts are that I like the fact that, I mean, I'm also not in the demographic of um, film festivals, but I sort of have this idea around film festivals that they're a bit sort of stuck up and the identity that they would usually use is trying to be all fancy and sort of pretentious and stuff like that. I feel like this is much more accessible, much more fun and sort of takes, I mean, yeah, it takes that fun approach to film, which I think is really important even when you've got, you're going to have films that are going to be serious and sad and, you know, horror and all of the different genres. But I think that this lends itself to the whole thing being much more fun and accessible than other ones have been previously from my assumption because i'm not super familiar with the space it's got sort of a like a music festival vibe even maybe mm, doesn't it and, and, and like you're saying like it might be that they're trying to appeal to a younger generation um yeah. trying to go from like you know you've got to be in your 60s and uh <laughs> And, and again, I don't know whether that's the target demographic or if that's the demographic historically, but um, yeah, like it is more inviting um, mm-hmm. and they've done a pretty good job, I would say, of um, translating that language across so that it, it, it all is tied in together fairly well. Um, a huge thing here, though, is that they've been able to get away with so much variety because I think um, they would have a variety of applications to play with. Like, they'd have posters, they'd have billboards, they'd have advertising, um, they'd have various platforms, and they'd have the audience. So if you're, for example, looking at this and you're a... Like, you know, they've got two, two typefaces, which is fine, but you need to have enough... Um, I guess enough touch points and enough places to apply this brand for it to be effective. Like if you're just starting off, you don't want this this variety because what's more important then is that you communicate something and um, people remember you with some sort of consistency. Um, where these guys, the f- film festival probably runs for a month. Um, so it's more important that you sort of see something and go, oh, what's that? And find out that it's a film festival and you might attend than necessarily building out like equity in the brand and um you know having like it, it's not going to exist in in a month's time it's not going to exist in a week's time probably depending on when you look at it so it's more important that they get your they get your eye and sort of um draw you to you know the sff or ssf film or sydney film festival sort of wording um then trying to necessarily make you remember a specific logo because in this this example here they've got what like 15 different variations mm. i think it looks like they're copying various uh tv brands though and identities that are very familiar i can't put my finger on what any of them actually are but i look at them and i go hey this looks like a logo i've seen before so i think that's a fun little take on it um and as you sort of mentioned i think 
catching your eye. For me, I'm not somebody who would traditionally go to a film festival, but this actually does look kind of cool. And I think I have this idea now around the films that they'd be showing that are much less amateur and, I don't know, all of these predispositions I think I had about it. I don't get them as much because of this branding and it makes me want to find out more about it, whereas previous ones definitely haven't. Right, interesting, because I see it as it's... To me, it's almost communicating like a. It's a bit of. Um, it's a bit of everything. Um, mm-hmm. There's not necessarily a, and I'm and I'm not meaning any offence, but to me, it's just like it could be anything from like a film shot by by an eighteen year old to a a, a massive production. Like yeah, it, it because there's this variety. Like it's not to me, it's not like a consistent uh, promise. It's not a consistent brand promise. It's a bit of everything. Um, Mm -hmm. and yeah, it makes me like, I don't, I don't see how anything can match this. Like, I don't see how any of the films can actually match this level of branding. Like the branding is almost, I won't say dishonest, but is, doesn't quite capture what you're to expect. Do you get what I mean? Like the product, the end product, I don't see how the end product could match this. It could match one of these things. Mm. Um, but not all of them. Um, I think the word that's coming to my mind at the moment is that this feels more mainstream, um, which is probably, I don't know if that's what they're going for, but it feels more mainstream. So then I do have this idea that the films that they're going to be showing are much less artsy. And I'm sure that they will still be artsy, but just not in the negative artsy way that I've previously thought about it. Yeah, not in sort of like that pretentious or there's yeah. no sort of negative connotations or classist connotations around it yeah um, just trying to see if there's a link to their website just to see what that might look like okay they've done a good job of carrying that branding across mm-hmm. yeah that does seem to be a variety of um, end solutions, or like sorry, end end products, I guess. Or yeah. Um, oh, it's on at the moment. It's gonna wrap up very soon. Hmm. Yeah, I think I think ultimately, like it's it's very interesting. They've done a fantastic job. It sounds like last last time they worked on the same agency worked on this in twenty nineteen. They had thousands of logo variations which is kind of cool um and and it it works when it's such a you know short-lived sort of it just needs to sort of exist for three months sorry for three weeks um Mm -hmm. from the third to the 21st um but yeah i think worth worth talking about worth pointing out um really good for um events that well for events i think that that last for more than a more than a day but don't go for more than sort of a few weeks and then um every every year you reinvent and have like sydney film festival 2022 i would imagine would have its own look and feel that is quite different um and that's really cool because you can have a different vibe but whether yeah the end like whether what you experience when you visit is going to be matching or not is 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 the question um any other um takeaways from this one uh no, just that I like it. <laughs> I'm kind of curious <laughs> now. I want to find out more about the film festival and maybe check out some films. 
yeah, I'm going to look into it. Um, it's 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 intriguing, isn't mm-hmm. it? For sure. Um, all right, that's that's all the news for this week. Um, this is the last episode for uh, the year, um, as I mentioned at the start. Um, we'll be taking a Christmas break, so we are a few weeks away from Christmas now. Um, what, like six weeks, which is mm-hmm. which is a few weeks, I would say. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. We're going to be doing a bit of bit of work um, on the podcast and the Future Tribe show side of things. Um, and we're planning to be back next year. Um, so thank you for listening. Um, this will be the last episode with Kelsey uh, as yeah. the host as well. It's been um, fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's been different. It's been fun. Um, it's It's been good. Um, I think we'll continue to... We're going to yeah, explore a few things um, on, on this break and then come back with the next season. Um, Nothing set in stone yet as to what you can expect, but uh, I would say expect expect something different. Um, um, and yeah, as as we well, one last thing I want to mention as we finish up is to check out the group. Um, we are hiring, and one of those roles will be involved more with the group. So um, we're hoping to introduce a few things there and make a few changes over the next few weeks. So the podcast is going to be quiet but everything else probably won't be as quiet. Um, join the group to sort of stay in the loop and, and see, see things as they happen and hear about things as they happen and, um, and get involved. Um, so that's about it. Um, I'm going to leave Kelsey to do the, her final sign-off. Oh, gosh, my final sign-off. I mean, my sign-offs are usually so short. It's just to catch next week, but I guess thanks for everything and see you guys later. <laughs> See you around. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Let's um, roll the outro.